Julie. And this is A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Beowulf today. Beowulf. So, <laughs> monsters. Not the movie. Not the movie. Monsters, mothers. Yes. Dragons. dragons. We're talking about reality. <laughs> Wait, what happened just now? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, Beowulf um, is a book that I love. And um, it is, uh, we, we read the Seamus Haney translation. Which was amazing. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. I already I liked, it too. liked Beowulf a lot from mm. reading a different translation. I have been astounded at how much I like old English uh, epic poetry. Oh, it's really cool. a facet cool. of myself I didn't know. But um, this one, man, it just came alive and grabbed you by oh, the throat yeah. and took That's you into awesome. the story. That's terrific. That's terrific. Yeah, I have the uh, the version of the book that has the old English on the left. Me too. And the English on the front or on the right. But, you know, every now and then I would glance at the old English. <laughs> But I can't read it. I mean, it, and then that's the thing. Ask it, it's which it's one you read. far enough back that you can't read it. <laughs> no, I. Um, but I, I do have. Um, have you ever heard of Michael DC Drought? Oh yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, I've got I love him. I've got um, Beowulf read by him in Old English. Whoa. Which is really neat, you know, um, and uh, it's like if you if you listen to the first section, which. Which ends, you know, that's that's a good king, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can tell, you know, like you can hear those words, you know, that's a good king or something like that. And you're like, okay. ah, yeah, <laughs> I can recognize those words. But wow, you know, you really have to be paying attention to try to to try to get that. So the time when I heard somebody reading archaic language like that, English language, was listening to Corey Olson, who would read aloud sections of Le Morte d'Arthur by Thomas Mallory. Mm. Now, <laughs> uh, it was interesting because listening to him, that was close enough, and his reading was however it was, I'm sure it was very accurate, that I could really follow it. Wow. Cool. And um, this is far enough. For, so I thought, oh, maybe if I look at this. <laughs> and I went, oh, no. Mm-mm. There's a name. I see a name. But that yeah, was it. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So, yeah. So Beowulf was written. Well, we, we have one, one manuscript. Um, and it was that manuscript was created around the year 1000. Mm-hmm. And, but the story was older than that. They believe that it was oral you know, uh, transmitted right. orally for, for a long, long time. And there is lots of conjecture about when, but it's really what I've been finding uh, pretty much from, I don't know, 700, 750 through okay. about 825, 850. They, you know, there's a lot of people that have differing opinions. Okay. But well, that's yeah, here and there. Right, for us, right. It's but that's super you know, long ago. Yeah, so it's a long time ago, but that's you know, the language that it's in was you know, so in the year one thousand is the language that we're talking about that we can't you know, it, there's very little that uh, works for us <laughs> as far as uh, that language. 
Yeah, and I guess Seamus Haney's strength is that he's a poet. Yes, yeah. But one who, between the time that he had the idea of doing this and when he did it, he had learned more and grown more mm-hmm. in his knowledge of this kind of language and poetry and everything so that he was able to stay, as it seems to me, and most people have told me on the back of the book, true to the original sense of the language, but also very contemporary in the excitement and emotions and everything that get conveyed about what's happening in the story. Mm, Very good. Yeah. So the the Beowulf was written in um, what's now Northern England, but it's about um, people in Europe, like in Northern Europe. So Denmark, um, Denmark, yeah, Denmark. And then the Geats are from, is it Sweden? I believe. Oh, you know, are they? Which is close by, yeah. So, okay. so it, it starts out with these these folks in Denmark um, who had built a, a big old mead hall. <laughs> yeah, you know what, what's interesting about this? It, it's not that long a story, but without all of the tangents mm-hmm. and the you know here, let me tell you uh, this unrelated thing for a page or two. Um, without that stuff, it's really a pretty short story. Um, oh yeah, you know. So there's there's this group in Denmark that built this big mead hall, and they are having parties there, right? <laughs> They're enjoying themselves there. And everything's then, great. Everything's they've fantastic. conquered who they need to conquer. That's right. And they and now is they wonderful. are now they are partying, right? Right. Well, and they're they're celebrating. They're celebrating, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're celebrating, and um. Grendel is a local monster who is bothered by all this noise, probably, mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, goes into the mead hall one day and kills a bunch of guys and then goes back home. And um, this this is not terrific, <laughs> but <laughs> but somehow they just keep celebrating, They're right? Like, what are the odds he's going to come back? He's killed enough people. He's probably happy. Yeah, that is that Party is one of the things. Tonight. Oh my gosh, this reminds me. Um, I have there is a terrific summary of Beowulf on YouTube that I'm going to link. Um, okay. And it, it is there's some animation and it, and it's so witty and fun, mm-hmm. and uh, and she says, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a, it's a subject of much scholarly debate on why it didn't dent the party atmosphere the first time it happened. <laughs> <laughs> That never would have occurred to me until I was reading the book going, seriously, again tonight, huh? Okay. Oh, shoot. So, yeah, so Grendel keeps coming back, and he keeps killing a bunch of guys and then disappearing. And then finally, um, this king says, you know, we got to get somebody in here. (laughs) And in comes Beowulf, right? And he's a geet, right, from Sweden. Or the the south of Sweden, I believe, mm-hmm. and he has shown up with several of his buddies, and he said, "I am here to kill your monster, and not only am I going to do it, but I'm going to do it with my bare hands because I am awesome." And here are my credentials. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. it sounds like he's bragging, but this right. is where that cultural thing comes in, where he's like, "I have done this and I have done that," and what he's really doing is going, "Here's my resume." 
Yeah, and th- I'm that's... a legendary fighter and monster killer. Exactly. Just so you know. And I think that that's one of the themes of this Beowulf for me is there's this tension between pagan belief and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's almost now like, well, if if you're too braggadocious, right, that's too much. Um, so it's tempered with humility, right? And right. The, in the, humi- the, the braggadocious is the, the pagan, and the humility is what Christ teaches us. <laughs> right. And there's this center spot, right? And that's where you want to be. Because it is interesting, as you read through this book, how many times they mention God, um, because Christianity had come in at this time. Um, so it's almost a, a merging of the pagan beliefs with Christianity. And they'll often say, you know, like, like the, what a good king is, right, is more than just, I can beat everybody up. Right. right. And, and that's, that was really interesting to me. Yeah, and it's mentioned from very early on um, because the Grendel, mm-hmm. it says it's um, he doesn't like to hear all these people and the, the heart being struck and the clear song of a skilled poet telling with mastery of man's beginnings how the Almighty had made the earth a gleaming plain girdled with waters in his splendor. He set the sun and the moon to be the earth's earth's lamplight, lanterns for men, and filled the broad lap of the world with branches and leaves and quickened life in every other thing that moved. And Grendel doesn't like hearing that. Mm -hmm. That's what he doesn't like hearing. He doesn't like hearing the partying. But what he really doesn't like is hearing everybody praise God like that. Because he is one of the monsters that came from uh, Cain's murder, you know, after Cain murdered Abel, then there were horrible monsters and ogres and elves and evil phantoms and giants that came at as a result of that evil. And so, um, really early in, the poet is going, there is a theological underpinning to this whole thing. And I know that people will say, oh, that's not a true telling, and it makes the story not as good. But just to kind of diverge from your storytelling for a second, um, I was thinking about people will take the book of Genesis and then want to tear out all the stuff about God because it's not scientific. They want to do that now. And that's just, it's how do you look at it through your cultural values? And this guy is going more than anything, here's the underlying story. So to me, it's valid because he's a reflection of the culture of the time in 1000. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Right. Who says, I see more. Yeah. And at at a time, in my eyes, that they are struggling with um, these dichotomies Mm -hmm. between, you know, pride and humility you know, sacrifice and and selfishness, right? Yeah, so, what do you dedicate yourself to when you do go off right. as a warrior? What does it mean to be a good king? Or what does it mean to be yeah. a good person? Um, I feel like there's a lot of contemplation of that in this. Yes, I was really stunned. Um, some of those side trips that you mentioned, they'd mm-hmm. say, oh, now Beowulf's going to tell them a story. And I'm like, oh, I just <laughs> read it. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole different take on it. Yeah. Or um, at the end, the king, before Beowulf leaves, 
gives him some very sage advice about the danger of power. Mm. And I was like, wow, I didn't know all this stuff was in here. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's, it's taking a story I, I and making it better, I think. Yeah. Um, in fact, early on, I just have, Martin, this is page five in my book. It says, behavior that's admired is the path to power among people everywhere. Yes. You know, so it's not it's not saying let's go bust people's heads. <laughs> and the, again, you know, the survival of the fittest, which, you know, again we return to, you know, this idea that it's love, right? That really yeah. matters and really brings somebody on onward, right? Here's another example of that stated differently, right? Right. Behavior that's admired is a path to power among people everywhere. You know, as, you know, right in the midst, that that's right at the very beginning. But yeah, um, yeah. so when I first read it, you know, a long while ago, and, and I saw that, I was like, well, that's interesting. Because mm-hmm. it's not, it was unexpected at that time. Right, you're just expecting the adventure, because that's the part that everybody likes to talk about. Right, right. Um, and, and for me, also, some of this really rang true, because last year I read Tom Shippey's book about... Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's about Viking epics mm. and the series of epics that people know and what it says about the culture they were in and all that stuff. And it's very scholarly. So I'm going to admit there were certain parts where my eyes were glazing over as mm. he's digging into word origins and stuff. But what I really picked up was their whole cultural value was based on, and, and of course these aren't Vikings, so it's very different, but it was, um, they had kind of a love of death culture. Mm. So for them to race into a war like that, heedless of anything that might happen to them, just meant, man, you'll face death with a laugh and a joke. Well, we admire that now. Mm. We just expect the hero to, to win. <laughs> right. You know, he's right. not going in going, if I die, I die, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's that same thing that you see in Beowulf. It was really familiar looking. Um, yeah, yeah. Agreed. You know. Yeah, and it was it was just nice to see this contemplative contemplative stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's it to me that that's a fascinating aspect of it is, um, you know their their religion that is was their culture, you know, and then being uh, converted to Christianity, mm-hmm. and then uh, reconciling that. Yeah, I guess this is like a picture of. When uh, something that gets complained about is, a lot is they'll say, oh, well, they took this pagan holiday and made it into a Christian holiday. Right, right. As if that's not done all over the place anyhow. <laughs> but it's that thing of going, no, no, we kept what everybody valued about it and mm-hmm. showed how you can interpret it through Christian eyes and see the deeper meaning of it. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's what the book is doing, too. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got some more to say about that, but I'll, I'm going to hold that until. Yeah, I'm after. sorry, we no, really no, jumped this ahead. This is fantastic. Didn't we? No, we didn't jump ahead. I love it. Okay. Um, okay. So back to the story. So uh, Beowulf has said, you know, okay, not only will I fight this monster, but because the monster doesn't have any swords or anything, I shouldn't either. So uh, he he basically <laughs> drops all his armor and everything, and and stands there in the mead hall waiting because Grendel's going to show up. And Grendel yep. shows up, and there is an epic battle. <laughs> oh, yeah. They fight and fight. And uh, then Beowulf uh, rips his arm right out of his socket. <laughs> Da-da. Yep. 
And then Grendel <gasps> says, ouch, and runs away. Yeah. And um, then uh, uh, Beowulf gives the arm to the king. Says, here's this arm. <laughs> Your and, token. Yep. And he says, I'll put it right up here on this wall. Yep. I'm, I'm I just very love proud this of this. Stuff. I love it. Here it I is. Know. Yep. Just put it on this wall. <laughs> so, um, so Grendel runs off home and his mom is at his home, uh, Grendel's mother. And Grendel's mother uh, gets quite upset with this situation. And he said, Where's your arm? <laughs> Well, and doesn't doesn't he bleed to death? Yeah, he does. Okay, he does. But yeah, but um, yeah, right. So, so, but anyway, Grendel's mother mother is not pleased. (laughs) Also, who thought of what kind of imagination is his mother was pissed? Yes, you're like, what monster has a mother? (laughs) Now she's a a hell hag, so it's okay. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Too good. Too good. You're just like. I, what, who mm-hmm. thought of this? Yeah. Why don't we have yeah. this now? This is amazing. Monster families. That is something. That is yeah. good stuff. And, um, yeah, I mean, very short aside, uh, women do play a pretty good role in this story. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's queens and, and things that, you know, the, I'm, I'm told, you know, not knowing a ton of stuff about Vikings and I wish I knew more cause it is my heritage. <laughs> <laughs> I am, you know, half, half, uh, Swedish. Oh. And yeah, Danielson is okay. a Swedish name. Oh, that makes sense. Oh yeah. my gosh, of course. Son right. of Daniel. <laughs> <sighs> so yes. um but I'm told that that women played a, a large role in Viking uh civilization. Ah. It was, you know, they they were they, they had a, a good role in society. Um okay. anyway, so uh Grendel's mother. So she shows up at the Mead Hall after Beowulf has has left. He he hasn't left the area. He's just not in the mead hall at this time. He's with the king. He's, yeah. He's hanging with the king. Right. And then she she um, <laughs> kills somebody. I can't remember the name of the guy she killed, but um, in the mead hall, and then took uh, Grendel's arm and yeah. left. I'll yeah, just she, take this. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, you can't have this on your wall. I'm, I'm doing this, and I'm leaving. Yeah. So then um, Beowulf... And them decide, okay, well, we've got to go after this mother because she's going to start coming and killing everybody. Yeah. So let's go take care of her. And um, then he takes, uh, is that 13, I think it was 12 or 13 people Mm -hmm. with him. And Mm -hmm. off he goes into the wilderness to look for his mother. And then significant, yep, yep. <laughs> and then he absolutely significant. And then he finds this uh, lake where she is hiding, or where she lives. Actually, he tracks her. Yeah, yeah. He, they tra- track her down. And then um, he jumps in to the water. <laughs> you know, first he says, "I shall go and take care of this. Everybody, wait here." And he jumps yep. into the water, and it takes him an entire day to sink to the bottom. But that's okay because he can. He's heroic. Yep, heroic. And then um, as soon as he, he kind of reaches the bottom, Grendel's mother grabs him and pulls him into her lair. Yeah, go, yeah, I've been waiting for you. There is an epic battle. <laughs> Another <laughs> oh, epic battle. yeah. Yeah, so they're fighting and fighting. And now Beowulf's got this awesome sword and he's hitting her with it, but it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turns out that, you know, she can't be hurt by normal weapons. But luckily... <laughs> She's got a whole bunch of treasure in 
her little spot. Cave, yeah. And among that treasure is this fancy sword. And Beowulf says, I wonder if this will do any good. And he picks it up and he hits her with it. And, of course, it's a magic sword that comes from the time of the giants. Mm-hmm. And uh, kills her with it. Mm-hmm. So victory. So then um, now they've got all this treasure. And he goes back to the king and says, all right, I took care of that. And here's your treasure. Right? And then the king goes on and on and and bestows on Beowulf all kinds of treasure of his own. Says, uh, well done. Here's some stuff. You know, and he gets a, a sword and and lots of gold and etc. And also he he in his heart adopts him as his son. Right. Yeah. Big gives stuff. Gives him wonderful advice. Mm-hmm. The yep. kind of father would give. Yep. Yep. But he's like, you're going to be a great and powerful man, so let me just tell you about power and ruling mm-hmm. and everything. It's very good advice. That's right. Yeah. I have to say, I was a bit downcast at one point where they went, and then there was some epic, you know, like music for the warrior prince, harp tunes and tales <laughs> of adventure. And then they tell one. I'm like, oh, no, I Mm. I don't care for this. Right. You know, I mean, it was all fine. But I was like, Uh why are you stopping now? And I'm like, but you know what? In that time, and it wasn't a bad story. I enjoyed Mm -hmm. it. It had melted heads, Mm -hmm. rusted gates, carcass flames. Yeah. So many, so many adventurous things in it. But I was thinking this is actually the kind of thing that would have been sung. Mm. Everybody would have loved it. So when you're telling this, everybody wants all the deets on it. You know, (laughs) oh, I want to know that song. Which one was it? That's right. You know, um, and it, it really kind of, uh, details like that would take me kind of back in time mm. to really suddenly jerk me into the story even more like, this is real. Real people listened to this. Oh, absolutely. And enjoyed yeah. it. And, yeah, and it probably it took something. about three hours to tell, I would imagine. You I know? think when I've read, and this, when I've looked at the... Um, like audible versions mm-hmm. of this one. If you just went from that, it's they're about four hours long. Okay. Yeah. So four hours, four hours so in a meat see, hall. <laughs> yeah. And I could yep. see it being, and now we're going to stop and let the guy have something to drink and mm-hmm. then and a little dancing or shouting or whatever we do, wrestling, yep. and then more of the story. Right. Right. I was like, I could just see this being a centerpiece. So yep. anyway. Very cool. Continue, please. No, that's fantastic. So now that's pretty much the end of that section because what happens is Beowulf goes back home. So now he's back in his southern uh, Sweden. Mm -hmm. And then he becomes the king and then 50 years pass. Well, yeah, but what's interesting is he doesn't become the king instantly. The king's son is there and he's not quite old enough maybe to Mm. take over. And they say, Beowulf, you should be our king. And he's like, oh, no, that's not for me. We have a rightful king. And he supports him. Right. And Mm -hmm. helps train him. Mm -hmm. And then when that king gets older, he dies, and I don't think he has any uh, family. And I think it was his, I think Beowulf is related somehow anyway. Yeah. Right. Nephew or cousin or whatever to this king's son. And so then he becomes the king. So I'm like, I liked that bit of, I'm not doing this for the glory. I mean, in that way. Mm-hmm. True. Yep. Yeah. So it yep. continues. Very Sorry. good. Yep. Okay. And then, uh, and then, fifty years pass. Yes. <laughs> it's been a long, long so time. So he's old. He's old. He's an old guy. Yeah, he's like probably seventy. If if maybe he was twenty when he did all this. Yeah. Right. Yep. 
So um, what happens at that point is there's a local dragon that has been sleeping on a big pile of treasure. And somebody disturbed that dragon by going in there and disturbing the treasure. Take a cup. Yeah. Take one freaking cup. <laughs> yeah. To show people. Exactly. And then the, the dragon wakes up and starts to basically lose it all over everybody. <laughs> basically lose yeah. it. Yeah. So like he that. is he is flames everywhere. Burning everything he can find. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Unfortunately for the dragon, he burns Beowulf's house down. Um, yeah. And so Beowulf says, all right, well, I think I'm going to go after this dragon now. And um, there was this little section that I thought was kind of uh, amusing where he's like, well, this time I am not going to leave my armor because I'm not who I once was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a cool speech. Yeah. You know? Uh, I'm not quite as awesome as I used to be, so I'm going to go ahead and bring this sword this time, and and my uh, my uh, armor. I'm going to keep that on, <laughs> right? <laughs> because there will be hellfire, and yeah. <laughs> uh, I should survive it, right? Hellfire is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so off he goes to fight the dragon, um, and he has he has some men with him again, um, and. Then when when they finally confront the dragon, a lot of those men run away. All of them but one. All of them but one, yep. And uh, then there is an epic battle. <laughs> during yeah. During which uh, Beow- or Beowulf is hurt. He's injured. Yeah, his sword um, is destroyed maybe? Or? Yeah, and, yeah, but he's bitten on the neck, I think. He, yes, he's, he's got poisoned a wound. by the dragon. Right, he's got a wound. And they do kill the dragon because the only way to kill the dragon was there was a scale missing. Mm-hmm. And they could kill the dragon through that one spot. All this should sound familiar. I was going to say, does this resonate with The Hobbit for anybody? I mean, my gosh. It's like Tolkien was being my backwards interpreter for uh, certain scenes of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of... Uh, I loved it. Yeah, Somebody said that the Hobbit is Beowulf from the thieves' point of view, <laughs> right? Because the, the yeah. thief who disturbed the, uh, the right. uh, uh, treasure, right? Yeah, and the, was our and friend Bilbo. Wakes up but and, yeah, yeah. There, there's some other differences, but definitely it was yeah. inspired by that. Yeah. So, um, and then that—that's pretty much the end. So, but Beowulf has this wound, and uh, he says, "Hey." Uh, friend, go uh, grab me some of that treasure so I can see it before I die. And uh, his friend does that. He he does die, but before he dies, he says, you are now going to be the king because you're awesome and you never left me. And, um, and then uh, now that person is going to be the king. Yeah. And they've got all the treasure, right? Mm-hmm. And then he's buried yep. with that treasure. <laughs> Beowulf is buried with the treasure, I believe. <laughs> That's funny because I remember the first time I read this, I was he was like, bring the treasure out where I could see it. And I was just, in my ignorance, I was laughing going, oh, this is what he cares about. <laughs> and then whether it was my careless reading the first time, probably, or this book's better pointing out of things in the translation was like, because this is what I'm going to leave to my people. Mm-hmm. This is their legacy. 
And of course, the treasure now I know, of course, in that time, the treasure would have mattered Definitely. a lot. You Definitely, know, we laugh yeah. at it and go, oh, you greedy, whatever. But you know what? Not everybody had treasure. He was going to be gone and who was going to take care of his people. Yeah. And it it is kind of a, a Christian thing to do to, to have the treasure and then to give it to everybody. Yeah. You know, to um, spread this out. You know, it's not going to be a horde. You know, we're going to spread it out to everybody. Well, and the Viking thing to do also would be the treasure is part of the point. Everybody would see that and go, I mean, I'm trying to think of an equivalent these days, but it's like, you know, the company is kept safe against the, you know, bad guys or whatever. Um, it's it's a hard translation. You kind of have to look and go, you greedy, whatever. <laughs> but that's us not understanding their mindset. Right, right. Yeah, and their their mindset is very interesting. I just find mm-hmm. that that whole medieval mindset is mm-hmm. something. Um but yeah, but uh, sort of going into that, if uh, I could get into this really quick. So um so the venerable bead was a yay, yay for him. <laughs> the saint <clears throat> he, on my yeah, birthday, he's a, he's a saint. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so he, he was a Benedictine monk in the kingdom of Northumbria, I'm reading here, Mm. um, which is North, Northern England, you know, sort of where this thing was written. So he, he is there as a missionary, him and a guy named Paulinus are there, uh, he, he's basically a missionary to these people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, they're, they're converting, right? And the Venerable Bede wrote a book called The Ecclesiastical History of the English People. Uh, um, and in it, he talks about, I, I think this is interesting to, to contemplate in, in uh, relation to Beowulf. He relates a story about um, a king named Edwin and mm. his uh, conversion. Right. So... Uh, He's talking about, uh, so this Edwin would have converted in 627, it says here, but Bede was alive, let's see, 672 or so to 735. So he's writing history here. So he wasn't present for this. Um, But it says here, uh, let's see, no one has ever doubted that this, and this is not Bede. I'm, I'm reading a book that is about Bede. Not this is not Bede himself that's writing this, but it says no one no one has ever doubted that the central episode of this narrative, which is the baptism of Edwin into the Christian faith on Easter Day in 627, was one that really did happen. So it is believed that they did happen. Um, so in 626, Queen Ethelberga gave oh, yeah. birth to a daughter, Paulinus, who was a missionary assured Edwin that the queen's safe delivery and the baby's survival were owed to his prayers to God of the Christians. And then later in that same year, Edwin led his war band against the king of the West Saxons. And before he set out on the campaign, he promised that if God should grant him victory, he would renounce the worship of idols and serve Christ. As a pledge of his promise, he permitted his infant daughter to be baptized, which took place at Whitsun on 7 June of 626. His, That's a big test. Yeah, right. Like, okay, God, here's my here's <laughs> my part. Right, right. And I'm all in. Exactly. But. But, yeah, so then his campaign yeah. was completely successful. 
five chieftains of the West Saxons were slain. <laughs> and Edwin mm. returned booty laden and rejoicing to the north. Yay. Excellent. And there was much rejoicing. Excellent. It was great rejoicing. Yay. <laughs> right. And then it says here, okay, he abandoned the worship of idols and sought instruction in the Christian faith from Paulinus, though he did not yet publicly declare himself a Christian, which is great, right? As well as instructing him, Paulinus reminded Edwin of a mysterious experience that he had had years before while in oh. exile, fighting the, his way to power in Northumbria. And the, at the dead of night, he had encountered an unknown stranger. And then it says in one version of the story, this was Paulinus himself, who had prophesied Edwin's future greatness and held out the promise of salvation. And then, um, so an interesting one of the more interesting things to me, it says, in a final episode of Bede's conversion narrative, the king had a meeting with his counselors and sought their advice. And in that meeting, a nobleman present likened the life of man. Now, this is the, their pagan point of view. Okay. Right? He likened the life of a man to the flight of a sparrow through the king's hall in winter from darkness to darkness. Okay, which means, okay, you Uh have this big mead hall in which things are happy, right, and warm, Mm -hmm. and in flies this sparrow from from the darkness, right, Mm -hmm. in here and is enjoying the heat and the the atmosphere and everything. And then when it leaves, it goes back into darkness. In Mm -hmm. other words, nothing, a glimmer of happiness, nothing. That was their belief, right? Yeah, And then he said he urged sympathetic consideration for a faith which might reveal more of the origins and ultimate goals of mankind. Hmm. Paulinus also spoke in the debate, and at its close, Edwin formally embraced Christianity. And then um, this guy named Coifi led the way in profaning the heathen temples. The royal baptism at Easter followed shortly thereafter. I just find mm. that really interesting. And all that happened in the same region, in the same time frame that Beowulf was written um, sometime it's... in this, this time. So these are the things that were happening and the changes that were taking place between and, in that culture. Yeah, and it's funny because you don't think of <laughs> people that far back because this is our modern point of view, right? We're mm-hmm. the best and the right. smartest. Yeah, yeah. And you don't think of people that far back having these thoughtful conversations about life and and eternity and origin and faith and what does it mean? And and here they are in 600 something. Yeah. Having these conversations <laughs> and you can and they they said okay and Edwin's like okay, okay that's it. Yeah. Um we're going to have the baptism where and so he clearly they'd been having conversations like that before it's not the first time he was on his way to mm. doing that anyhow. Right. And I, I really like because th- this is a, a pattern that I see, right? It, it's sort of I have had an experience in which I felt God was present. And rather than showing up at the church tomorrow and saying baptize me you look into it, right? And you say, mm-hmm. okay, what is this? What is this that yeah. I'm feeling? Help me understand this. Um, yeah. I feel something's going on here. Let's let's talk about it. And um, so I, I thought it was 
it, it rings very true to me that, you know, he would come back from this battle saying, yeah, that was great. And, and, uh, but I need to know what this is now. I, I don't fully get this mm-hmm. and to, to explore it rather than just convert is, uh, excellent. That's what happens. Yeah. It, it's true. I mean, this is something I see in RCIA all the time. People come and they're, they're, it's like almost like they're converted already when they show up. I mean, just to show up means that they've got something on their mind. Something has happened. Something has brought them there. And yeah. what they're seeking now is, is assistance in understanding. And uh, so, yeah, I really love that story. I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about the rest of the ecclesiastical history of the English people. I, I looked at it. Um <laughs> and uh, and it was like, you know, there would be a year, you know, like 627, and then there would be a few paragraphs on what happened in this year. and mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, it it's definitely seems like it'd be interesting to look at. So I think yeah. I will. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I'll be curious to hear if you go on reading that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, and Beowulf was just full of that tension, you know, uh, the tension between the, the pagan stuff and – the Christian stuff, you know, because God is mentioned all the time. So here, um, let's see. That's interesting. I don't think of it as a tension. Yeah, okay. I think of it as, um, because it's not going, and this is better than those dumb pagan things. Very because true. Because God did right. this. And so I think of tension as being a push and pull. And okay. in this book, I see them being... Almost a comfortable existing side by side. Yeah. Okay. Where the Christian uh, message is not saying, and so this stuff is wrong. It's not trying to talk you into anything. It's just going, and this happened, and this happened, and and there might there are pagan elements and that kind of thing. But then they just go because God plans everything that happens, and our actions matter. But God's will is what's being done. And so they kind of just go, so Mm -hmm. here's the underlying part that you're not seeing with all the pagan stuff. And they're not, I don't know. It's not, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I've got a passage here that's perfect for what you're saying. Um, Absolutely perfect. Um, So this is when um, Beowulf is saying, I will not have any weapons when I fight Grendel. Mm -hmm. Okay. He says, no weapons, therefore, for either this night, unarmed, he shall face me if face me he dares. And may the divine Lord in his wisdom grant the glory of victory to whichever side he sees fit. Then down the brave man lie with his bolster under his head and his whole company of sea rovers at rest beside him. None of them expected he would ever see his homeland again or get back to his native place and the people who reared him. They knew too well the way it was before, how often the Danes had fallen prey to death in the meat hall. But the Lord was weaving a victory. Yeah, here it is. The Lord was I weaving a victory on his war loom for the weather geats. Through the strength of one, they all prevailed. They would crush their enemy and come through in triumph and gladness. The truth is clear. Almighty God rules over mankind and always has. So, yeah, love it. I also marked that passage. I just love the idea, the vision of God that you bring into um, your own culture too is mm-hmm. God was weaving a victory on His war loom. So right, God's right. weaving not cloth, but history. And that's what I, I agree with you. That tension wasn't the right word, but that's what I was trying to convey. 
mm-hmm. was this is, again, the merging of these, I guess. So yeah, the Lord was merging. weaving his victory on his war loom for the weather gates, you know, is... That's not something that you would normally, you know, see in the Bible, I mean, right. let's say. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, so whether it's it's attention or not, I guess, you know, you're right. That's not the correct word. Well, and it's interesting, too, because it makes me think of Genesis, which I mentioned before. And Genesis, of course, will get pointed out to us many times these days is, oh, the Sumerians had those kind of stories and this kind of thing. And it's like, yes, but the Jews took those stories and went, but what's generating all this? Mm-hmm. What's underlying? Where's the truth? And that's, it's almost, that's the biblical version of Beowulf. Right. The same thing. It's the merging of those two things and going, but see, here's another layer that you guys didn't know about. This brings it into a better focus. Yes, indeed. And that's what this does too. It's, um, and it also is a good example, like you're saying, of the merging of all those things. Here's how it happens that you convert people. You don't take everything they have and spit on it. You go, oh, you know what you guys didn't get? This. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Check that out. It's like when um, I remember reading once that when missionaries went to Papua New Guinea, where everybody was cannibalistic, mm-hmm. or a lot of people, yeah. and they said, oh, Hey, have we ever told you about the Eucharist? We eat our God. And they mm. went, What? <laughs> you know, it's it's mm-hmm. the correction of the misunderstanding of how things work that has happened in the pagan world, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I, I love that yeah. thought. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much so. And I, I would I would argue that, you know, when Christianity is brought to countries all over the world, um, when, when it's greeted that way, you know, as, you know, let's, let's look at what you believe and, um, trying to show here's what's underlying it. Like you said, when it's, when it's that way, it's successful, but when it's like imposed, it's not successful. Right. But, but it, it's an interesting thing because, you know, the native American uh, how Christianity was brought to the Native Americans was atrocious, usually. Mm, mm-hmm. And it, it is a problem. It is a problem. Um, but, and then that's an example of, you know, it, it didn't it didn't take like it did with the Irish people. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? Uh, be- right. Again, because it was like, you guys, what you're doing is no good, and here's good. Right. And uh, it was the way that it was brought. It was it was not correct. Well, and um, I think I might have brought this up before. And again, we're kind of off topic, but I will say that there were there were a series of famous debates in Spain, Valladolid, Spain, maybe I want to say, that were between um, members of the uh, high officials in the Catholic Church, and one of whom had written so many letters to the Pope, he'd been in the New World, and said, the way these Native people are being treated treated is atrocious. This is unchristian. You mm-hmm. should not have these sla- them as slaves. You should not treat them like this. You're, you're being awful. And the Pope was interested enough. He went, well, oh, okay, so they had a debate. but And actually, that was the first case of looking at international law how do you mm. treat people fairly from different cultures? Mm. Yeah. So the church has many examples of that, along with the people, because we're a fallen people and a fallen church, and we don't get everything right a lot of the time. But um, 
you would have people imposing their faith badly. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you also mm-hmm. have people who are going, hold on, here's the, the true light of Christ and trying to fix it. And oftentimes fixing it, at mm-hmm. least in some places. So, um, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting to think of Beowulf as kind of that, uh, the example of seeing the merging yeah. of those things. Because yeah, I think sometimes know, short, it's presented these days right. as, oh, look, Christians are appropriating an epic poem. <laughs> but it's, but this was a guy of the time. It was liked so right. well that it was written down. It was held on to all this time and written down. So, they didn't have that problem with it from inside their own culture. Mm. I feel lucky because there is only one copy existing and part of the edges are burned mm. because it was rescued from a fire from the collector who had it. Yeah, long for ago. sure. For sure. Yeah. Can you imagine the things that have been lost? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Maybe when we get to heaven and look at God's library, <laughs> they go, oh, this one's as good what? as Beowulf, if not better. Here's the guy. He'll just say it to you and you'll understand him. <laughs> That's great. That's great. The original audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, um, let's see. So, another thing that I um, highlighted that was another one of those things where, you know, hey, this is what a good person is. Mm. Um it was just a line. Let's see if there's any better context of it. So this is Beowulf and his his guys are getting ready to leave after they've met, you know, and fought Grendel's mother. And then he says, Then if Hrethric should think about traveling as a king's son to the court of the Geats, he will find many friends. And then this is the sentence. Foreign places yield more to one who is himself worth meeting. Mm. And I just liked that line. But it, mm-hmm. it's it's not, it's again, you know, you know, it's not, we're going to go conquer this foreign land. It's foreign places yield more to one who is himself worth meeting, you know, and that, that, that's a respectful statement to foreign lands, right? It's yes. like, yes, I'm going to go to a foreign land, but I need to be worth meeting myself. Well, and all these things are actually different uh, restatements of the true defi- definition of humility. Mm-hmm. Whether I don't know whether the Beowulf times would have felt this way about it, but so humility is you know who you are. Yeah. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. Right. You know, all of it is owed to God. God will help you become better at the things that you're not good at. And and you any good you have, you're like, thank you for helping me. And the things you are good at, he gave you. Right. Your natural skills, you didn't earn those yourself. So you can awesome. improve them. Because <laughs> here's a passage that, again, perfectly tells what you're saying. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. Okay, so this is... Um, this is getting close to the end. It's right before the dragon stuff. Um, it says, Thus Beowulf bore himself with valor. He was formidable in battle, yet behaved with honor and took no advantage. Never cut down a comrade who was drunk, kept his temper and warrior that he was, watched and controlled his God-sent strength and his outstanding natural powers. He had been poorly regarded for a long time, was taken by the Geats for less than he was worth, and their lord, too, had never much esteemed him in the mead hall. They firmly believed that he lacked force, that every prince was a weakling, but presently every affront to his deserving was reversed. And, um, but that's exactly what you're saying, right? 
He controlled mm-hmm. his God-sent strength. Um, he never cut down a comrade who was drunk. He was formidable yeah. in battle, yet behaved with honor and took no advantage. Right? So yeah. that's exactly what you're saying. So the, this is like the definition of, of what mm-hmm. they think needs to be upheld. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, Yeah, it, here, are the, here are the things. You, you want to be like this if you mm-hmm. want to be like Beowulf. Right. It was Beowulf they were talking about? Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Yep. Because so I was yep. thinking when you said God sent strength, one of the things I love about the definition is that the reason he's having trouble fighting the dragon not only the scales, but it's like, so this is, he's what, at least 70 years old. Mm-hmm. He keeps breaking his sword because he's hitting too hard. It's like the strength <laughs> of his arm is so great that he uh, hit too hard and the sword would just shatter. Right. And you're just like, yeah. oh, I love this guy. Oh, so good. So good. Yeah. Wow. Yep. I love that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then I have one thing that I wanted to read just because I think it is so beautiful. Um, it is a line and it's funny. My, my daughter, when she was in high school, they read Beowulf and they had to memorize a paragraph and she came home with this paragraph and it was just like, this is like my favorite. I I just love this passage in Seamus Haney's. So I'm on page 95, but what it is, is, um, they are looking for Grendel's mother's lair. Mm. Okay, and they come across this haunted mirror, you know. Oh yeah. Right. Okay. And I just, I just love this passage. It says, "A few miles from here, a frost stiffened wood waits and keeps watch above a mirror. The overhanging bank is a maze of tree roots mirrored in its surface. At night there, something uncanny happens. The water burns." And the mere bottom has never been sounded by the sons of men. On its bank, the heather stepper halts. The heart in flight from pursuing hounds will turn to face them with firm set horns and die in the wood rather than dive beneath its surface. That is no good place. I just love that paragraph. Mm-hmm. It's it 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 works for me. <laughs> it is super creepy there. It is super creepy, but it's we just like know you know, it. you've got this deer. You know, even a deer will run, and if confronted with jumping in there or fighting what's after it, it will fight because it is not going in there. Yep. yep. The wolf's like, hey, don't worry, I'm, right. I'm on it. That's right. I'm, wherever she is, that's where we're going. <laughs> And then he jumps in, takes a day to yep. sink to the bottom. He's like, and the king's like, oh, God bless you, son. <laughs> and they send a bunch of people and they all go and uh, stand there and go, okay, so did you want me to hold your armor for you? Because <laughs> we've agreed I'm not going, right? Right. Okay. Oh, man. Um, one thing I did think about this book that, you know, it's so unrelatable in so many ways. You've got the Mead Hall and the Warriors and the things they're celebrating are all the battles they've won and everything. And um, they they would have some interesting reflections. Like uh, there's one point where just and as in one of those asides you mentioned, they stop and go, well, you know, here's the problem about marrying this princess off to this family. Here's what's going to happen. Mm. Here's how it's all going to fall apart. Yeah, and you're yeah. reading it, going, oh, you're right. These people <laughs> will be jealous. These people will be angry. Yeah. These people won't. There will be an insult. And you're just okay. So this is very human. But the big picture. 
And the thing about everybody just going to bed and going, oh, crud, he came again. That monster is still here. <laughs> well, maybe not tonight, you know, mm-hmm. is um, the Danes were really comfortable. They were on top. Yeah. And when the monster were. comes in, it's something they're not prepared to think about or deal with. You mm. know, they know these monsters exist, but they haven't obviously had to face any. Yeah. And they're really unsure what to do. It takes someone like Beowulf coming in going, oh, no, it doesn't matter to me who it is. We're going we're gonna to handle it. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. the hero who sent as the example, as you pointed out, in so many ways. But, of course, here we are. <laughs> if there's this pandemic going on, mm. there's, um, you know, a lot of civil unrest, a lot of it for excellent reasons. Um, but everything's spilling out in ways we don't expect. Right. That's, you know, yeah, very true. We, we mm-hmm. can appreciate a lot of the basic choices people are making and then go, but now this is happening, Mm -hmm. but now that's happening. And how's it affecting me? And we're facing those different monsters. And I have to say in my particular lifetime, I know there've probably been things like that, but they were always when I was at an age where I didn't notice it or understand it enough to care. So like I was born in 1957. So I remember the like, big things from the end of the sixties or um, the seventies, like, you know, the flower power and the rioting civil rights marches, um, the Vietnam war, Mm. but you know, my family didn't talk about any of that stuff Hmm. and it might be on the news, but they largely didn't even pay attention. So we were just kind of going along. It was never brought to the top of my mind and then, of course, you had the Cold War and tear down this wall and everything like that. And so, there have always been these kind of distant threats. But even when people were talking about North Korea and nuclear war, I'm like, eh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, that's kind of my general attitude. And now, every so often in the middle of all this stuff where I'm looking at something where it's showing people at a water park with masks, I'll stop and go, is this really happening? Mm. This is like something out of a book. Yeah, yeah. And it's like something out of Beowulf. In that yeah. sense. That's, yeah, that's so it, true. Yeah. Is this really feel happening? The same way. How, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were used to a different kind of disaster. Mm-hmm. And we were used to political arguments and uh, trade wars and all the other things of life that we're used to. Mm-hmm. Then here comes the monster. Right. Or maybe Grendel and his mother. <laughs> yes, maybe so. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, when I think back to, I was born in 68. So, um, you know, Growing up in, I'd say, mid-70s through the 80s, mm. there wasn't a lot of threat there. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, I did did grow up at a time where these kinds of things weren't going on. Um, and yeah, it's interesting, you know, this generation now, they've been through quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I wonder how that's going to change things. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. well... Yeah, because you, you, you get complacent. You know, I, I remember, and I know I've said this on the podcast before, but I took a, in college, so this would have been 86 or 87, um, I took a Greek mythology class. It had a star professor, a professor mm. that everybody on campus wanted to take a class from because he was an incredible storyteller. 
and it, it was um, you know Greek mythology, and he would go up there, and when he got on a roll in his lectures, it was just awesome. <laughs> Still remember it. But he yeah. said one day, he said one day, every civilization that has ever existed has fallen, and there's no reason to think that America won't fall someday too. And he wasn't advocating the fall of America. He was simply stating, this is history's pattern. And that hit me on that day as the first time that I ever really ever thought about that. And so it was an affecting, just the fact, I remember that like a flashbulb memory. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought, my gosh, you know, this is not permanent. And, uh, you know, that that was a big moment for me. Mm-hmm. I know. And think you said this was from, so 700, 800, the manuscript was right. 1,000 maybe. Mm-hmm. So here we are in 2020. So it's, I say just in geological terms, that's a blip. Mm-hmm. It's 1,000 years later. Yeah. And what do we know about those people? A poem here, some books, things that, you know, the church maintained and saved and that were written down and things that archaeologists have found. And and we think, well, everything's so advanced. We've recorded all this stuff. There's mm-hmm. no way that people won't know all about us. Hmm. But, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, the Sumerians wrote a lot of tablets yeah. and nobody knew how to read them for a long time. <laughs> that's where uh, Gilgamesh came from. I mean, right. it's and part of that's lost. And uh-huh. it's that thing of just going, this is why you have to let God enter into history. Hmm. Permanence. Well, but yeah, it's bedrock, he's the yeah. bedrock. Like you say, he's that bedrock because in the middle of all this stuff, God may or may not act on big events in history, depending on what you think. But he definitely acts in our own lives, and our own little lives are what make history, mm-hmm. and and our souls, and that's what he cares about. All yeah. these things that happen are just opportunities, good or bad, for him to step in and get our attention, and show us he cares and he loves us, and there's so much more to this than just on the surface. It's what the Christian. A poet did when he wrote this manuscript down. There is more than just the surface. It's what you were talking about with Bede, mm-hmm. Venerable Bede, or you know, reporting on that conversation between yeah. Edwin and uh, Paulinus and whoever the other person was. Mm. That's right. why those things mm. are still resonate. That's what really matters in life. And the more we can hold on to that the easier it is to let some of this stuff flow over us. It still affects us. We still get afraid or worried or upset or whatever, but it's a little easier. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unsettling that it's fragile, right? Yeah. When we, when we think about it, but in, in God, we have something that's not breakable. Right. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I have a short prayer by the venerable Bede. Oh, And I I feel like it applies. Please. Um, He he says, I pray thee, loving Jesus, that as thou hast graciously given me to drink in with delight the words of thy knowledge, so thou wouldst mercifully grant me to attain one day to thee the fountain of all wisdom and to appear forever before thy face. 
That's the venerable bead. Beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I want to look more into him for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you said he's he's uh, on your birthday. That's his feast day. So in the Western churches, it's 25 May. That's it. Yep. There Yay. it is. <laughs> Very good. Way to I go. I guess I should pay more attention to him, really. Way to go, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bede. <clears throat> I love it. He doesn't care. <laughs> he's a saint. He gets yep. it. Declared a doctor of the church in 1899 by Pope Leo XIII. Talk about waiting for it. Yeah. That's a long time. You know what? He's a doctor. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Check. Yeah. When you're a doctor of the church, that's huge. Yeah. There's not that many of them. Mm -mm. 26 or something like that? Yeah, something like that. that. Not very many. Yep. That's great. Cool. All right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to say about Beowulf? Wow, no. Okay. Who knew it was so relevant? Yeah, yeah, who knew? <laughs> also, such a great adventure. I it mean, is. I it's, guess. It's great. And it's so cool to see what Tolkien did with this material. <laughs> and um, there was, all, I don't know if you've seen a movie called The 13th Warrior, which Mm-mm. is, uh, it was done from a Michael Crichton novel called Eaters of the Dead. Oh, um, yeah, about. The Arabs? Yeah, there was an Arab in it. Uh, The 13th warrior was an Arab, and uh, the rest of them were Vikings. Okay, yeah. And it was exactly the story. When you watch it, I watched it actually just a few days ago again. I do do like that movie. But it's Beowulf. (laughs) The the whole movie is Beowulf. So, um, but, you know, not quite. It's just, you know, the, the whole plot's lifted from there. Well, it's the thing, too, I was looking, because one of the things I marked was um, the Lord of the Geats took 11 companions and went into rage to reconnoiter mm-hmm. with about the dragon. Yeah. And it says, by then he had discovered the cause of the affliction being visited on the people. The precious cup had come to him from the hand of the finder, the one who had started all this strife, and was now added as a 13th to their number. <laughs> they press-ganged and compelled this poor creature to be their guide. There you go. And yeah. so, of course, you think of the Hobbit, where the Hobbit is added to keep them from being 13, right? Mm-hmm. So that they'll be 14. Right. But it's that same thing where um, he's got to be the thief, and mm-hmm. he's kind of compelled to go along with them. I mean, not gang-pressed, yeah. but it's that thing where you look at it and you go, one of the things I liked about it is... You see Tolkien's sheer love of these stories because some people, I guess you could say that he copied them, but he didn't copy them. He just had absorbed them so thoroughly that when he was telling his own story, those elements came through. Right. And they're just, they work wonderfully. So if you've read any Tolkien like that and you go to read Beowulf, you're going to feel those reminiscent uh, moments. And it's great because it helps you understand it. Yeah, it's terrific. I mean, how many mm-hmm. times, like you said earlier, has Genesis been retold? Right. right. East of Eden, right. John Steinbeck. You know, the right. those things are just in there and they come out when you write. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Excellent. All right. Well, that Thank was you for fun. picking this. You betcha. You betcha. And next up for us is a movie, Knives Out. Oh. Which was also published in 1000. 
in an ancient manuscript. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> well, I was thinking it's certainly kind of like uh, uh-huh. in, in that Tolkien loved um, the Norse stories so much. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Ryan Johnson loving Agatha Christie so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's gonna really be great. It'll be a fun, 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 yeah, fun talk. Yeah, sure will. Yep. Yes. So, all right. Well, okay. thanks for listening, everyone. Yes. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks, I guess. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.